I'm grateful for the worship team and those songs, those beautiful hymns. Grateful for God's Word, and let's approach it now. If you would, bow your heads with me as we prepare our hearts to receive God's Word. Lord, You need to prepare our hearts. We cannot do it ourselves. We ask, Spirit, come. Prepare us to receive. Prepare us to hear Your Word, to to know that it is Yours from You. And open our hearts to receive and to be changed to adore You and to live for You. You're worthy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I normally don't do this, but I want to give you the application of the passage that we're going to cover before we even go to the passage. So We're going to start with the application this morning. The response to what we're going to look at this morning needs to be these two things. First, profound gratitude. Profound gratitude. And second, a clear purpose. After we understand what Paul is saying here and what we're going to look at this morning, we should be humbled and in awe of God and inspired to live for Him each day. Amen? probably true about every sermon right (laughs) that should be our proper response to every sermon we hear listen our human tendency is to want to do it on our own by our own strength we don't like the feeling of helplessness or being told that we need someone else to accomplish things we don't like handouts now before you say wait 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 that's not exactly true You're probably right, that's not exactly true. Some people may seem to like handouts, but listen to this. We like to believe we deserve things. Even those who want handouts want it because they believe they deserve it because of their circumstances. What they've been through, how hard life has been. They don't think that they're being given something that they aren't worthy of, right? There are two common phrases we hear pretty regularly. It's not my fault. right? And I deserve to be happy. You guys hear that one? I deserve to be happy. At the same time, we also have a built-in sensibility that nothing is really ever for free. Even if they say it's free, we know there must be some strings attached. We ask questions like, okay, where's the fine print? What's the catch? We say things like there is no free lunch, except after church on Sundays. Okay, so make sure you join us. I think that we are so used to dealing with sinful human beings that we can't really trust that we're not being taken for a ride, as they say, when someone is saying there's something for free. If it's too good to be true, it must be. Right? Now, look, this combination of wanting to do it on our own and believing that we deserve good and not believing that anyone would give us something that is truly free taints the way we think about God. It taints us. And and this taint particularly appears when we're discussing the concept so foreign to the rest of the world's religions but so central to Christianity, the concept of grace. 
being given what we do not deserve and we cannot earn, and it is 100% completely and utterly free. So, we think about every other system, every other religion grounded in some version of works-based thinking. Some works principle. Do this and live. If you do enough good, a little less bad, you'll have good karma, right? Pastor Eby and I were talking about Hinduism. And we're talking about if you live a good life, then you'll come back in a better state. You live poorly, you'll come back in a worse state. Do this and live. That's, that's what's found in all of the world's systems except for Christianity. Even meditation and self-help work off the same basic principle. Do this and live. As one author said, if it's going to be, it starts with me. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> so when we're told that our salvation is free, completely by grace we don't quite accept it so we we try to find the catch in the system so so we try to add to god's grace our own contribution something that lets us feel like we deserve this at least something that sets us apart from somebody else right something that that sets us apart from others makes me feel like well, it makes sense that God would save me. We think to ourselves, yes, yes, God saved me. But I had to believe. As though believing is our work and grace is God's. Misunderstanding of both sides of the equation. You see, Paul has been harping on the glory of the riches of God and His grace. In fact, we left off a couple weeks ago with Paul saying, that we have been saved so that in us might be displayed the immeasurable riches of the grace of God even into the coming ages. You remember that from Paul? We are trophies of God's grace, we said. Trophies that declare to the ages the kindness of God toward us in Christ. But beloved, Paul's not ready to move on yet. He has a bit more that he wants to say on this issue of grace and really what it means for us and how we ought to respond to it. So he's going to give us two uh, illustrations, two images this morning that are going to help us to grasp the grace of God. Two main points. If you have your bulletin, you could turn it on the back and you could fill in the blanks there. The first point is this. Salvation is a gift of God. And second... Salvation is a creative work of God. This is how Paul wants us, to, to, wants us to think about our salvation. And if we do, beloved, it should cause humility and gratitude and inspire us to get to work. So please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're back in Ephesians 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Open your Bibles there. It's page 976 in the Bibles in the sanctuary in the chair, underneath the chair in front of you. And I hope that you'll open it and keep it open there. Ephesians 2, verses 8-10. through 10. Hear God's Word. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For 
We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? May God bless the reading of His Word. Listen, this is a familiar text, isn't it? You probably all memorized it in Sunday school. Uh, You've probably said it and recited it many times. We want to dig into it and hear from God's voice what this passage means. Before we get to the few verses that we're going to look at this morning, back up and take a look at the very beginning of chapter 2 in your Bibles there, Ephesians 2. What did Paul say to lay the groundwork? Well, he made it clear what our standing was before Christ had come and saved us. Remember? He said we were dead in our sins. And not only does he say that we are dead in our sins, he said that we were enslaved to the world, the devil, and our flesh. He said we were under God's wrath and we deserved it. That was our natural state. I don't mean to steal from Lady Gaga, but we were born this way. And it wasn't good. Not good at all. Paul used this language in verses 1 and 2. You were dead in your sins in which, notice the language, you once walked. We walked that way. We talked that way. We lived that way. Our lifestyle was the world's lifestyle. He pointed out that we lived according to a different master than we live for today. We lived in the passions of our flesh. We we lived out of the desires of a fallen body and a fallen mind. And we are so fallen that without Christ's grace coming to us, we don't even know that we need grace. We don't know it. We don't know that we need to be saved. Remember verse 4? But God... Words of great hope. God interrupted. God interceded. And He changed everything. By the way, this is Paul's big picture point, right? If you don't get anything else, hear that point. That's God's grace. He gives to us what we do not deserve. Salvation is from Christ. It is in Christ. He gave it while we were yet sinners. We don't clean up to come to God. He brings us to Himself and cleans us up. Amen? There should be a lot louder amens to that point, beloved. Think about what that means. He changed everything. He unites us to Christ who came to do what Adam failed to do. Fulfill the covenant of works and earn for us eternity. Adam didn't. We couldn't. Jesus did. Yet He went to the cross and He died to pay our debt. But God raised Him from the dead, seated Him in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father, and accepted His perfect offering in our place. And Paul keeps telling us throughout this passage that in Christ, those things are true of us too. In fact, He did them for us. So here again, Paul offers one more emphasis on grace with some key additions as he shifts from simply talking about our salvation to talking about how that salvation becomes ours and what that salvation does to us. Let's look at the first image. Look back at verses 8 and 9. Salvation is a gift of God. It is a gift. That image of gift needs to be at the forefront of our minds. It is the controlling image here. It is a gift. Verse 8. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Paul's talking about our salvation, and I want you to look at it carefully. Verse 8, it is the whole process 
that he is talking about there. All of it. It's a gift, a present. Now the word gift in the original language means gift. It's not any different than in English. It's a present. It's something that's given. It comes from the the verb to give. Now why is it so important? What is Paul getting at here? Beloved, Paul is thinking about our human tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we all have it. So I want you to consider this. Someone comes and surprises you and gives you a present. And then another friend sees that you have this nice gift and he, he says to you, hey, where did you get that from? And obviously you respond very proudly, I accepted it. You would never say that. I accept. No, you say, so-and-so gave it to me, right? And well, let's say this friend says, you say, hey, so-and-so gave it to me, and your friend responds, man, that is so nice of him to have given that to you, to which you respond, but I accepted it. Give me some credit too. Your friend would look at you like you're crazy. Because you would be. You're missing the point of what a gift is. Now look at what Paul is getting at. Back to the beginning of verse 8. He wants us to see, he is illustrating for us what grace is by this language of gift. By grace you have been saved through faith. And in case we're missing the point about what grace is, look what he adds. And none of this originates with you. It is not your own doing, ESV says literally. And this not from you. It's not of you. It's not from you. It didn't come out of you. You're not the source of it. And then Paul simply adds, without a verb, by the way. In English, we add a verb, but Paul doesn't have a verb there. He just adds simply this phrase, gift of God. You see his emphasis? Even the faith to receive the gift is a gift. It's of grace. And actually, the the order in the original language in Greek goes this way. And this not from you, of God, the gift. The emphasis here, the, the very thing that is not from us is from God. You see? Salvation is not from us in any way, shape, or form, and we must come to grasp this truth. In case that wasn't clear enough, Paul knows. He knows us. He knows our hearts. Paul adds, look, not of works. Not based on what you do. Not based on what you don't do. It has nothing to do with that works principle that's found in every other religion, in every other faith, and in every other system. But not in God's system. Note this, he says, not of works of any kind, really. He doesn't say works of the law like he had said in Galatians. He's dealing with mainly Gentiles here. They didn't know uh, about the, the Mosaic law. They didn't have the works of the Mosaic law. But they sure did have a works principle in their system. Everyone does. What's Paul saying? He says your actions, what you think are good deeds, what you think you can offer, what you think you could do, what think or say, and bring to the Lord and somehow make you eligible or valid in front of Him, for salvation, those can't save you. They're meaningless. Elsewhere, Paul calls them rubbish. Christian is not saved because he or she is good. Let that sink in. Beloved, a Christian is not saved because he or she is good. And a Christian is not saved because he or she is better than the next person. 
We're not. Nothing you do can save you. Look carefully at what Paul's saying here. There's a very good reason that Paul emphasizes that our salvation isn't based on our own works. He says, so that no one may boast. Does he know us or what? He knows. Beloved, he knows that deep down, even though we know salvation is of grace, when we look at somebody else who is not saved, someone who is not in Christ, we still think sometimes, don't we? I'm a little better. Look how bad that person is. No. Paul says don't think that way. There is no reason for us to boast because salvation is a gift of God. If we're going to boast, what do we boast in? The Lord. Our boast is in the Lord. He wants no human being to think ever, I did this. God did this. And so at the core, beloved, we Christians should have a very pervasive humility and never pride. Every Christian who thinks about his or her salvation should have the most profound humility of all. Toward God, that means that we are humble and grateful and we worship and we adore Him. Toward others, it means that we are patient and kind and gentle and gracious and desire to help them see the truth too. Amen? Notice this. Paul provides for us really three knots here. Three negations that emphasize the point that he's making. He says salvation is not from us, doesn't originate from us. Not of works, doesn't have to do with what we do. And not allowed to boast. Not something we can take credit for. That's throughout the New Testament Scriptures. Paul in Romans 3, 23 and 24, here's what Paul writes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. The NIV, by the way, translates that are justified freely by His grace. It's the same root word that here is used for gift. It has to do with it being free. We're freely justified. That's what a gift is. If it's not free, it's not a gift. It's a transaction. It's a wage. Let's come back to the beginning of verse 8, though. By grace through faith. We want to talk a little bit about faith. What is faith? Beloved, notice what Paul is saying. Grace is what saves us. It does so through faith. In other words, our faith does not save us. God does. Our faith is how the salvation becomes ours. Bear with me. We say that it is the instrument by which we appropriate, fancy word for make our own, the work of Christ. By believing that His work and not ours is what saves. It becomes ours. By waking up to the reality that we have no righteousness of our own to bring, like we were singing about just a minute ago, and hoping in Christ's righteousness, trusting Him and what He's done, it becomes ours. It's accounted to us. Faith is the instrument and only an instrument. Imagine you have a power source able to power an entire neighborhood. Now here, all you that actually know what you're talking about are going to find that I don't know what I'm talking about with regard to power sources, but I'm going to try. Okay? 
Let's say there's a power source and it's, it can empower, empower the entire neighborhood. The question is, how will the power get to all the homes in the neighborhood? So the city planner and the engineers get together and they plan a system of electrical wires and conduits. Whatever it is that they use. Those wires are not what power the neighborhood. They are the instruments that take the power to the homes or the buildings. They appropriate the electricity for the individual homes. Someone once used the illustration of a syringe injecting medicine. The syringe isn't healing. The medicine is what's doing the healing. The syringe is the instrument through which that medicine comes. Faith is like a conduit. Faith is like a syringe. It is simply the way in which the glorious and powerful work of Christ is received by the individual and even that is given by God. There's more here. Here's what faith is not. It's not something we offer to God instead of good work. Some people think that since we couldn't earn salvation by our good deeds and our own righteousness, that the Lord just changed things a little bit. He lowered the bar. And so that our faith now is good enough. It's accepted instead of our works. Kind of like it's the thought that counts. Is that how you think about faith? In other words, he, he changed the currency. He used to accept good works and now he accepts faith used to accept MasterCard, now Visa. I don't know. Beloved, that's not the case at all. He didn't change the currency. He changed the whole system. It is a whole new covenant. It is now by grace entirely. Our faith does not merit or earn our salvation. Faith simply receives the salvation merited by Christ. Perfection is still required. But grace gives us Christ's perfection since we have none of our own. Faith is an acknowledgement that we cannot pay, that we are not deserving. There is nothing good in us, that we need God's mercy. And when we believe, Christ's perfection is counted as ours. What is faith? It's the reception and the acceptance of the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done. It's the reception and the acceptance of the message that you were dead in your sins, but God has raised you up in Christ. He's forgiven your sins. He's removed the sting of sin and death. Believe. Trust Jesus. Faith is receiving. And what we receive is manifold. One of the things, beloved, that Paul makes clear here is that even faith itself in a glorious and mysterious way, is part of the gift. It's the work the Lord does in us. Let me give you a paraphrase from a theologian about these verses. He says, he says Paul's word may be paraphrased thus. I had the right to speak about the surpassing riches of His grace, for it is indeed by grace that you're saved, through faith. And lest you should now begin to say, but then we deserve our credit, at least for believing. I will immediately add that even this faith is not of yourselves, but is God's gift. Amen? Listen to Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And by the way, he had just listed all of his merits, all that he had done and all that he was born into. And he says, it's loss. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, faith isn't the righteousness. It obtains the righteousness from God. It's the instrument by which Christ's righteousness is accounted to us. Faith stands with empty hands. I think we sang this very lyric. It stands with empty hands, acknowledging that we have nothing of worth to barter with, make a deal with, negotiate with nothing we could offer to the Lord to merit His favor or His grace. Nothing that says, well, I'm better than Him or her. Or it makes me stand out. Nothing we could rightfully bring and say here. That should do it. That should cover it. All we have is more sin, more selfishness. Like the tax collector who beat his chest and simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That humble faith in a good God is how the gift is received. And what a gift it is. Salvation is a gift. How humbling is that, beloved? How humbling. Every time we say, but what about? The Lord says, no. It's my gift. But, but, no, no. It's a gift. I gave it to you because I love you. We should be grateful. What a glorious God. What kindness. What grace He's lavished upon us. Salvation's a gift and it must push us toward profound humility and gratitude. What do you do when someone gives you a gift? You say thank you. Beloved, our lives should be one big thank you to the Lord. And this leads us to our second image. We can say salvation is entirely by grace because in case that wasn't clear enough, look at verse 10. Salvation is a creative work of God. New creation. Grace does a creative work to bring us back to life from the dead, to open our eyes and make us new. God creates. We Christians are God's workmanship. It's powerful. By the way, that word could be translated creation, and some places do. The NIV translates that we are God's handiwork. The New Living uses another word, another phrase. It says we are God's masterpiece. Some commentators think that works well. Imagine what Paul wants us to grasp here. You, O Christian, saved by grace through faith, you are God's unique work. You, by name, he knows. Before the foundation of the earth, he's already laid it out. He made you new. He's formed you and shaped you. As always, Paul likes to add a, a lot of words, by the way, that say the same thing. And so he says we're his workmanship, which could be creation, but then he says also created in Christ Jesus. It's the word that means created out of nothing even in the New Testament. Of course, this idea of in Christ Jesus is extremely important for Paul and for us. The new life that we have is always tied to Christ. We're new in Him because of what He's done, what He's accomplished. We're just tagging along. We're in Him because of Him, because of what He's done. This concept of union with Christ, Paul's been harping on. Faith is what ties us to Christ. 
And putting our trust in Him, what He has becomes ours. But there's something more here that Paul emphasizes. takes us further along in our understanding of grace and its purpose. The idea that we are a new creation helps us understand that we couldn't do this ourselves. We don't create ourselves. It's like we don't cause our own birth. But we're born again. The idea that we are God's handiwork means that our spiritual life and existence is His act. We cannot take credit for it at all. But there's something even more. Look at verse 10. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Wow. There's a different mentality when we think we've earned something than when we know we've been given something for a purpose. If I earned a tool, whether I use it or not, it's up to me. If I've been given a tool for a purpose, I want to use it for that purpose. Here Paul gives us purpose. He gives us mission. Beloved, oh Christian, please look at the text and understand your purpose is good works. Yes, in a Protestant church, I said that. Good works. Please don't misunderstand, Paul. He does not say that somehow our good works save us. It's not what he's saying. He says we're saved to do good works. Good works matter. They are the result, the fruit, the purpose of God's redemptive handiwork in you. What are these good works? Well, verse 10 helps us to understand it. They are deeds prepared by God beforehand for us to walk in. Do you notice that language? Because that word walk should cause us to pause and think we've heard it before. Look back at verse 2 in your text. Verse 2, we, we know we used to walk according to the course of the world. We used to walk in a different way. Now we're recreated to walk in a totally different way. A different course. Earlier, we were walking according to the world, the devil, our own flesh. Now we're made to walk in works that are the very opposite. Works prepared by our Maker and our Redeemer. He has made a new path, beloved, a new track, and He has set us on it. This is our purpose. Christian, understand, the ways of the world, we're not to live in. Selfish deeds of the flesh, not us. We're not that kind of being anymore. That's what the Lord is telling us here. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We display His grace by living out these good works that He works in us. We display His power by living out the fruit the Spirit bears in us. I want you to stop and think for a moment about this. You are a new creation created in Christ which means that you are to reflect Christ. Remember what Jesus said to His disciples? John 13.35 By this all people will know that you are My disciples if you have what? Love for one another. Because that's what those who belong to Jesus do. They love. They die to themselves. They take up their cross. They follow Jesus. It isn't what they do to become Jesus' disciples. It's what they do because they are Jesus' disciples. They've trusted that He is the one to follow, and so they follow. He's made them alive. Now they can follow. This is another one of Paul's ways of emphasizing the indicative. This is who you are in Christ, so he can call us to pursue the imperative, live out the love of Christ. 
Not only are we created by God for good works, those very works are already laid out and prepared for us to walk in. In other words, even those are of grace, so walk in them. It doesn't mean that we wait around for God to start moving our body as though we have no control over it against our wills, coercing us. No, it means we get up and walk with assurance that God is in us. He is at work for us. Is there a mystery here? Of course there is. We're talking about God. But doesn't that give you confidence? God has already laid out this new course, these new works. He's already done them, prepared them. These new deeds that used to be foreign to me, instead of falling into temptation like I used to, He's already prepared my defense, the way of escape, and my strength to achieve that. Instead of being led by my selfish desires, He's already prepared acts of service and evangelism. He's freed me from strongholds. Now walk in those works, beloved. When we desire to obey God because He's worked in our hearts new desires, we can also be confident that He has prepared the course to live out that obedience. So go and live. I like how Clint Arnold put it. He said, there is not only the hope of breaking out of sinful patterns of behavior, anger, sexual immorality, greed, there's also the expectation that we will do so because this is the purpose for which He created us, for the sake of His glory. Do, because He's done in you. Live, because He's given you life. Go and do great things because He's already laid those great things out ahead of time for you to walk in. I believe it was William Carey who once said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Right? God has already done a great thing in saving us with purpose. So live out that purpose and expect Him to continue working in you and through you for His own glory. Amen? Beloved, there are two images. A gift and a creative work. One to remind us to remain humble. It's not our own. It's a gift. No right to boast. It's all grace. The second to remind us that He saved us with purpose. To reflect His goodness. To shine His love. To walk in righteousness. And we can. Because He has already prepared those things beforehand for us to walk in. Beloved, before I pray, I want to say one more thing. This was a message toward believers. This is for those who are in Christ. This is for you, if you are a believer. But I have no doubt that there are some among all of us who are here who have not yet tasted of the glorious kindness of God in Christ Jesus. Some of you have no idea even what we're talking about and what this faith is. Beloved, I want you to hear that the Lord is not far from you. Has He stirred your heart, I hope? Are you beginning to see that without God, you have no hope, there is no chance, you have no righteousness, nothing good to offer? Know this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Trust Him, and He is yours. Let's pray.
Lord, there is so much to think about in a passage like this that maybe we thought we knew what it meant. And as we're hearing it again and thinking about it again, we see there are things that maybe are in our hearts that that are, are still keeping us from having the real humility and gratitude that we need to have, that we should have. Maybe there's something still inside our hearts that is, is making us think that somehow we offer something to you at least. But help us to know that no, we can't. That it's all what you have done. But also help us to grasp that you have made us something new. So we can live now differently. It's our purpose, our mission. Give us the courage to walk in what you've prepared beforehand for us. Help us to be aware that that is not our work that we contribute. It's the work you've already done in us that we get to participate in and walk in. And may we do so boldly and shine the light of Christ to the ends of the earth. Give us humility. Give us gratitude. And give us purpose. In Jesus we pray. Amen.